let's uh, let's start with just a real real broad uh, macro question. So um, we'll we'll talk about the novel here in a second. But as an author, when you read novels, um, do you do you do anything special? Do you take notes? Do you highlight? Do you uh, underline? Or do you, just, do you just read it like you know the rest of us mortals? Well, remember what I wrote was a business book called Make Yourself Matter. So the focus of what I wrote was all about what we decisions we can make in business. Now, that's not unknown in personal as well. So I read them that way. I don't take notes. Uh, I have pretty good comprehension. I grew up with a bookmobile coming to the farm, and I would get a cardboard box full of books, and I would read constantly. Um, and I remember them. You know, what I read. I mean, good ones I do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, my style is basically is, is memory. Sometimes I'll take notes. And in, for, for this book, I actually went online and pulled up some things, too, that were interesting to see how others looked at it. So um, we'll get into that when we get into the book. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's get into the book. What, uh, what are your you know, general thoughts? Did you enjoy it? Did you hate it? Did you think it was well-written? I think it was very well written. Um, the guy is uh, a great writer. I think he will be someone who will continue to contribute in, in a written format. His language usage is fabulous. I mean, he just, um, I, I turned to David, like I, my partner, after about three hours of reading, I said, This has more adjectives in it than I have ever read. In any novel since Catch-22, I mean, he just is laden with rich descriptions of where he is. And, and, and it's really his book. I mean, you know, it's all about him. Yeah. And, and that can be a problem, but it's, it's truly all about him. And the rest of the people that come into the book are people who he bumps into in life. Yeah. Like we all do. Yeah. So am I taking that you enjoyed it then? Because you can think someone's a you know fantastic author and think a book you know was depressing and you'd want to burn it. So, well, I'm probably more in the burn, <laughs> burn baby, burn <laughs> mood with this book. It was a long slog for me to read this book, um, and it's not about the writing; it's about the the story and how he his decline in the story, but, but the premise of the story of a, a guy whose life has kind of deteriorated. Yeah, from his, the bar for his life has gotten lower and lower. And we come into the book, and we're reading about the incidents that go on, his um, career mm -hmm. declination, his... His marriage, what he wanted and what it is. Uh, his kids are disappointing to him for several reasons. Um, his career is declining. He's working for a magazine that's near death. And he has this one gig a year at this uh, summer learning center where he can go and be somebody. Yeah. And that's where the story is set. So, okay. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to process too. Uh, I, well, once I read it, I like you. I, I thought, okay, I, I really 
this is a really good book. There was some depression <laughs> with it. Uh, but generally, when I've talked to people about it, I've said, oh, I really, I really, I think I use the word enjoy. I really enjoyed the book. You should read it too. Um, but perhaps I'm framing it as I tell people to read the book the wrong way. Like, oh, go read it. You're going to be depressed. <laughs> You do great movie reviews too, John. You know, <laughs> you'll love this movie. It's sad. It's got death. that's right. It's yeah, yeah. Everything in it is just shit. You know. So yes. Um, you you started to kind of talk about this, but I want to want to do some deep dives uh, on the themes uh, of of the book. What uh, I, I have several uh, themes that that I I thought the author really tried to focus on, but I want to. Unadulterated. Hear, hear what you just you thought some of the, the major themes were, and if the author did a good job of of making the you know persuasion or, or just even thought thought about that. Well, I think the book begins with his career review, his life and, and his timeline, and I think he paints the picture very, very well. It's not a pretty picture, but it, he does paint it very, very well. And then he adds into it all the ancillary kinds of people, the 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 wealthy woman who's in an unhappy marriage and their attraction to each other, um, the somewhat weird students who go to this summer, you know, camp. Um, and the camp probably needs a bit of explanation. It's it's like an intensive learning camp for various specialties. And so they're going uh, to all of that, and everybody comes with their own agenda, like we always do. So I think that's probably one of the things that that struck me is that's a very powerful story. Um, so uh, well, I'll I'll start with kind of my list and, and get your your feedback. I thought the idea of monogamy was very prevalent, whether that is a a good <laughs> or outdated or faulty thinking way to live uh, I, I thought there were there were definite themes of, of whether how we look at relate at, at relationships uh, especially marriage relationships or, or partner relationships whether that's even a good thing did you did you oh I think mon- uh, monogamy was under attack in this in this movie and, and and it's generally under attack in some quarters and a lot of stuff but the story is as they say a, a tale as old as time. It, it's always been around us. Uh, basically, it's a guy faltering who reaches out for any lifeline that he can find. And he finds one that's very wealthy and kind of in a zone of her own. And he encapsulates all of this experience in this short period of time. And I think that it's not a, it's not a happy story because uh, you dread where it's all going to end. Right. And and afterwards you go like wow, so you can either say it was well written and stuff. I would never say it was enjoyable, <laughs> never, never, ever. But it is well written, and I think that's the credit uh, to him. You know, it, there's going to be a lot of fans of this kind of book, but it's interesting when I read the reviews of others, very mixed results. I mean, people you know, people are just very mixed about it. Uh, some thought it was good. It just depends on your moral view and you know where you think marriage should be and monogamy and monogamy is not the same as monotony. So you have to say, okay, 
what was he trying to restir? What what was in the pot right. for him that was so missing? He was angry. And I think it was career that was probably that. And as a career coach, um, I sense this all the time. I see, I meet people, men and women, at, at all all stages of their lives who are struggling to find a, defa- a definition for themselves. And they're like, you know, trying to hold on to something. And attraction is a very powerful thing to hold on to. But it, it's not always um, the lifeline that you want. So I think that's that's kind of what I saw with him was uh, I read a book uh, by a guy who was a professor at, uh, at Princeton. And he talked about how he could walk into it. First page, in fact, it was New York Times Review. And he and I met the guy, the author, later. But he said he could walk into a room and instantly find the wounded people. And um, he was kind of a predator. And so that would, became the way that he would find people that he was going to be attracted to. So I think that in this case, um, he was looking for wounded people. And he found one. He found several, but right. I'm not sure. And his wife was, you know, she was kind of a cipher. I never really got to know her very well, except as a whiner and a, all that. But that's really a picture he painted. Sure, not her. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you you framed it, uh, and and maybe these these things aren't mutually exclusive. In fact, maybe they go together. I. In your job as a coach, I assume you come across many self-destructive people. I would clearly classify Rich as a self-destructive person. I don't normally think of extremely self-destructive people also having kind of that predator role. In fact, I didn't even think about him sort of taking advantage of, um, you know, of of the wealthy woman until you said it that way. I thought it was just kind of a mutual attraction. Yeah, Yeah, uh, but I mean. Kind of unpack that that statement for me, because that's... Well, I think he was flailing, and he came there, you know, in a very leaky rowboat just coming up there, you know. Uh, He was working for that political magazine that was down to nine issues a year and going down. Right. So um, I think he was kind of at the end of his tether and was looking for something that would allow him to be connected. He wanted to be successful again. Um, I watched a movie last night that was the same theme done as a comedy. And this is so bizarre, but we wanted something, and we'd had a crazy week, and it was called Central Intelligence. And it was um, Dwayne Johnson and another actor who I don't know, played very different roles. But it was about a high school jock who was everything, everything. He was valedictorian, student of the year, president, uh, captain of the football team, basketball. You know, he just did it all. And now at age 40, he was a um, nothing more than an accounting manager in a nondescript firm where people kind of made fun of him. And he got passed over all the time. Now he didn't lapse into the the affair, but you wondered what was going to be his next step. 
that's the way I felt about this book. I just, I dreaded the end. I mean, I just thought, oh God, what's going to happen to him now? Yeah. You know, so th- that's how I, I, I saw it. Yeah. Well, the self it wasn't just the affair for me. It was the the drug use, the drinking, um, stumbling, blackout, like the all. Like he's really in a dark. <laughs> oh, he was. He was in the shade for sure. You know, he was. He was not a happy camper. So I think it's uh, those things all come with it, you know. And and as a coach, sometimes I'm seen as the person who's, you know, supposed to help people get out of that leaky boat. Right. And I, you know, try to, but uh, I'm not an addiction counselor. So, you know, I'm career. So it's, it's really about focusing on your strengths and making them go forward the way you want. Yeah. So reading is a wonderful gift. Yeah, you know, I'm on the the library board here and I just uh, I, you know, I, I, I now I was discussing earlier with uh, someone else about the reading that we do and he was a non-fiction guy. And it's very discernible. I used to work a lot with students in school and many times the the seminars that I did were in the library. And I would say just hold up my hands how many of you would go, and there would be a sixth section called nonfiction, somewhat smaller, but it had a lot of history in it. How many of you, that would be your first choice? Raise your hands. And it would be a small, mm-hmm. but a discernible group. And how many of you would go to fiction? And, you know, a majority of the room would point, not only point, have both hands up, standing up, you know, shouting, saying, that's, that's my section. So people know what they like. To bridge over that has got to be is a writer's gift if yeah. they can do it. And I think to a degree he did um, provide a bridge, but it was a shaky bridge. Yeah. The presenting sponsor of Book Club Podcast is Major League Roofing. Why trust your home to a company that doesn't have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau or isn't a certified inspector? Go to mlroof.com forward slash book club for a free inspection to see if your roof needs any repairs. For every new roof completed through our portal at www.mlroof.com forward slash book club, $100 will be donated in your name to the Homes for Our Troops Foundation, which helps our servicemen and women get affordable housing. That's mlroof.com forward slash book club. I want to touch on that shaky bridgeness because um, obviously politics was a big theme. I also thought in the book and I am, I, I mean, obviously lots, lots of fiction have political themes in it. This to me was one of the mo- more overt books that you know tried to uh, espouse one way of thinking and almost demonize, uh, despite the fact he was sleeping with the enemy, <laughs> demonize an- another political thought. Uh, in your experience, uh, reading and and just kind of absorbing art, the political themes you think are they should they be more prominent in 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 art? I'm trying to figure out how to how to express the exact question, but. I was just kind of shocked with how overt in this book the political themes were and what your what your thoughts were on that. Well, 
yes, it was very overt. And it was good versus evil or evil versus good. or I mean, there was lots of ways to position it. Generally, as a rule, I don't think political things sell. Uh, you have to kind of really hook them into it and make it a pivotal you know, plot point. But um, that wasn't the major thing for him, I don't think. I think it, I mean, he might say, oh, this or that, or I'm looking for this. But th those were more of the opposites attract kind of thing. I, th I think he needed that catharsis of being able to um, struggle with somebody else's beliefs that are different than his, but at the same time need what they had. Yeah. And then have to reconcile those differences. But it's no wonder that he drank, did drugs, you know, blackouts, whatever. I mean, he was, he's a failure, you know. He's Portnoy's complaint, you know. He's just sitting there going, what happened? Right. And I think, you know, th this book will appeal to some, probably not a vast majority, but doesn't make it a bad book because that the writing is very good. So, but it's, it's somewhat more limited appeal, I would think. What do you think? What's your... Uh, well, I think that it's, it's written very clearly. So a lot of times when there's kind of this, these heavy books with a lot of real deep uh, issues, the, uh, the author, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, David, Wa uh, uh, Wallace Foster, David Foster Wallace, mm -hmm. um, or, uh, Ayn Rand or something like that. Like, <laughs> oh, Lord, well, right, well, it's just, but it's, it's real, it's real dense and people fall in love with their own words and, and not that those aren't two, you know, obviously fantastic writers, but here it's it's yes, there's lots of of adjectives, but it's just it's very readable and very clearly written. Uh, and so I think there's more, of, and it's you know, it's not by any means a long book. It's a it's a fairly short novel. Uh, so I think just those aspects would would make it appealing to a broad range. And I could see how some people would be really upset with. You know, <laughs> the the main character is an, an adulterer who's doing drugs, and you know, is a communist basically. And <laughs> so, uh, but but at but the, other than that, right. it's just Lincoln. <laughs> it's just a great little story. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you bring up a point of it. He is um, he's complex, and this the author has brought in all of those elements. So, which makes it a richer story, you know. I mean, otherwise we would be talking about, well, he, he came, he sinned, he died, he left, or, you know, something, you know, would be a very short synopsis. But in reality, there is a complexity to, to, what, to the character. And I just say the character because he drives every page of this. Right. Everything is about him. Oh, yeah. It's self-centered in a way that is... Makes Donald Trump look almost benign. <laughs> Excellent transition to a, a, another theme that um, I want you to put both your writing and your uh, your coaching hat on, which we kind of touched on before, where I mentioned the, the self destructive nature. But uh, is is that uh, selfish, self destructive? Nature, we see that a, a lot with artists, uh, and 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 clearly here the rich is a is a cartoonist, um, is an artist. Is that almost? Do you feel as a as a coach, uh, a, a necessary part of truly great artists, or is that just an excuse that people use for 
poor behavior and he could be a great cartoonist without being so selfish and self-destructive. And Well, I have an unbelievable tie-in to that. One of my coaching clients is a professional cartoonist. Oh. And um, I would say uh, cartoons, if you said to me before, oh, cartoons are this or that, I would have thought it was like a one-dimensional draw, a little picture, whatever. But as he explained it to me, he had to create whole worlds, from clothing to shoes to what kind, what the inside of a car looked like, sometimes in a different era. And so I think a cartoonist lives in another world, depending on what they're trying to draw. So he... He's a tough character to to defund, you know, and say, okay, what what's in that baggage there? Because, you know, it's a lot. So I don't think he ever had a really good day or hadn't had one since about 20 years before. Right. You uh, you had mentioned kind of the, the well, I forget the adjective you used to describe the students. Uh, weird, was that the word you used? Okay. Okay. Uh, and when and as he's describing his his students, uh, not only does he describe as weird, he almost thinks very little of most of them. Like these, they really won't amount uh, to anything. So I thought a theme that I picked up on, whether it was intended or not, was this idea of talent being given from birth, or if these students who he thought would never amount to anything really, 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 really worked hard, if they may amount to anything. Um, did you did you kind of have that? I don't, I don't know if you picked up on that theme. I thought it was pretty obvious as he went through that class and was, was going around to each one of his students and was basically like, okay, you're, you're terrible. You maybe have a shot, but whatever. And you're terrible. You're terrible. You're terrible. What, 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 are, what are your thoughts on on that idea of, of born talent versus you can work your way into talent in art? Well, you really touched on nature versus, you know, nurture. Uh, he's, he's very um, aggressive in identifying his students in terms of their ability. If it was a question of being good at business or a task, I think you can build up competency. But art is not about competency. And he was teaching a class on cartooning. And I think he was looking for all those elements that go into it. Now, could he have been recast as a professor? You know, would that have been a more appropriate use for him? Get out of the, you know, the, the drag of selling right. art, but having him be teaching others about how to express yourself through cartoons. Um, that would have been an alternative role for him. But he didn't see that. He defined himself with only one goal, which, which was really reclaiming his, his past ascendancy, which had turned around and was dropping like a, a lead balloon. So, you know, he's, here's a test. Did you care about him? And that's a question for both of us, I think. Did you care? I did not. Um, I was aware of where he was going from the very beginning. It right. was very clear that this was not going to end well. <laughs> and 
but I didn't care. I wasn't like, oh no, my heart's string, you know, we're touched by this or that or whatever. Were you, were you? Well, I mean, I, you, I was, I was pulling for him. <laughs> now he, he, there, it, it seemed like every chapter he would do something to try to get me not to pull for him. Um, I mean, up, up until it happened, I, I didn't think he was going to go through with the affair. Like I would, you know, I was pulling for him not to have the, <laughs> have the affair. Uh, and clearly that didn't go the way I was, was wanting it to. Um, and I, 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 I don't know whether I assign not enough or too much um, symbolism or thought to the earrings uh, at the end of the book. Uh, if if what so I mean at the, at the uh, at the end of the book he he throws these two what two hundred and something thousand. He took all of his money. Yeah, he took every single bit of his kids' college and everything, and bought rings. I mean earrings for her, and she had so much money and they meant nothing to her. Right. Well, so he he brought the bought the bracelet for her. She had the earrings and left. Oh, that's right. Left yeah. them that were worth two hundred right. and some odd thousand dollars. And you know goes and that's what they he could walk out with two hundred thousand dollars. He doesn't have a cent in his account uh, right now. And instead of giving them back to you know his girlfriend or uh, getting the money and paying off debt and put his kids, he just throws them away. Uh, and so I I was trying to figure out in that moment if he was again being self destructive, if he was. Holding to whatever moral compass he had, as far as I, I, I can't be bought with two hundred thousand dollars. So therefore, I'm just going to throw this away. I don't, like I said, I still don't know how to feel about that scene. What, what, what are what are your thoughts about it? Well, I think he's a guy without values. I mean, that's what it really was was a search for values, and what he had been told growing up that his value was was success as a cartoonist. I think everything else has to pivot around that that element because he, you know, he he had nothing else going for him. You know, he had nothing. Right. You know, the fact that this woman was drawn to him was almost unbelievable. But you know, maybe she had a loser like you know, con- you know, quality about her. But I just thought it was, you know, one more sign. And you were hoping that for a better ending, and I just thought. This guy's fucked, you know, because there's, it's not going to go better. Oh yeah, well it could have gone, it could have gone worse. Like I, when uh, when Robin the wife did discover they were overdrawn the account, like I thought there may be a massive blow up scene there, and it and there wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so it could it could always there be was worse. a happy ending, isn't there, John? God love you. No. Hey, some of us are just eternal optimists, you yeah, know? Yeah, <laughs> we are, yeah. And you should always read nonfiction for that happy ending. You know, it's, it's funny, I just was thinking, as we were talking about this book, that I love to read thrillers, and, and uh, Jordan and I were talking about it earlier today, your uh, colleague, and and I said, you know, uh, or I thought to myself, the reason that I enjoy thrillers I mean, because I deal with real life every day as a coach. Right. So I'm, I'm not short on real life experiences. But I said, you know, I read a, a, a Dave, uh, Daniel Silva or somebody like that or David Ignatius or one of those. And you're not going to have somebody throwing <laughs> jewelry and, you know, away. I mean, it's just not going to happen. That's not a, 
that's not an element of, of, of a thriller. So, I mean, people make stupid mistakes. Right. You know, they leave things that they should have picked up or spotted and whatever. But that's the reader's challenge is to say, wait a minute, what about this? What about that? So, um, he he's a complex man. I guess the thing that I would go away with, what happened to him? When the book ends, where? Where does he go? What's, yeah. what's his... What's his new? I didn't care too much to explore that. Right. But as we talk about it, I can think like, wow, what, you know, where does a guy like that go? How does he recover? You know, that's what I work with so much as people in a business standpoint. How do you move beyond a big mistake? Yeah. And that's really what he's facing is a series of big mistakes. Lots of, lots of big mistakes. Um my my last question before and then you know once once we're done you can feel free to share whatever what you what you brought um, was multiple times within the book as he's dealing with other uh, artists um, you know, painters uh, novelists writers poets uh, there is a big sense of uh, at least I felt rivalry and competitiveness within you know the the art world which is of course above all these things that the business people do as far as being ultra competitive you know it's these this isn't wolf of wall street stockbroker this is a, a you know very high-minded art people <laughs> that a lot of them just seem to absolutely hate each other and your experience hanging around <laughs> artists uh is is that pretty true to life that there is this competitiveness absolutely among the oh yeah artists are ruthless they um uh Topped only by academics, who are the most um, mean-spirited about each other that there are. So I think that uh, they are truly, they're competitive, and it it just depends on the setting. If they're independent artists, then it's all based on who's the gallery that represents them and do they sell. And galleries go with winners. Right. You know, so that's, that's it. I heard the story yesterday of a Mexican immigrant who was labeled as a schizophrenic because of some of his mental issues, but he was homeless here after the, the work ended that he had been doing for years. And now we've rediscovered his art. And it's in the Museum of Modern Art. It's in all over the, the world, you know, selling for half a million dollars. And the art world loves to label it as a schizophrenic artist. Right. Because he was put into a, a, a mental hospital for 30 years. So, um, and there, one of the, the the art therapists, I think, probably spotted what was his work and started bringing him paper and, you know, tools. Uh, he only painted with crayons, I think. So, anyway, it was... Very interesting to hear um, the path that artists have to have to walk, and um, I don't believe this character is prepared to take that hard walk yet. Oh, right? No, I don't. Not at all. I don't think. Yeah. Well, but pretty soon he's just going to be down to having to make some really tough decisions: sure. marriage, children, work. 
career, talent, and his illicit affairs. Yeah. So he had a lot of stuff from that happy weekend going home. <laughs> he, he's going to have not have a good day, you know. Yeah. You just know it. Yeah. So that kind of sums up what I saw about the book. I think the book is a valuable book. Um, and I think there'll be people who will analyze it looking for it as an apologist or a, uh, maybe just even an explanation of the artistic mind. You know, his when you talked about how he would go through his classroom and look at the different participants, you know, phonies, this, that, and the other, and there was like two or three people that he thought had real talent. Right. And um, that's kind of what the mirror for him is, is real talent. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's worthwhile reading. It's not for everybody. Uh, the story has powerful symbolisms in it. And uh, it's not a waste of time to read it. So that would be my, my summary of this. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, thank you very much for uh, for discussing the book on our first podcast. My pleasure. It's great. This is great, <laughs> a great endeavor. Because, you know, a lot of people don't read. Uh, I worked with Spencer Johnson uh, as a trainer, the guy who wrote Who Moved My Cheese. Sure. And he told us that in a world where people rarely read, even though the book about it was a tiny little sliver of writing, he made the animated film to help communicate the messages because so few people write. I read. Read. Uh, but it's interesting. I sit in our library where I'm on the board, and I watch the people coming in. And I've got to say, I see lots of immigrants coming in and getting lots of books with their children, husbands, wives, uh, family members. So a lot of people are reading and, you know, watching videos and right. popular culture as well, but they're reading. So I think it bodes well for that. It could have been the story of an immigrant. Probably could have been an interesting positioning for him, you know, balancing his history. It kind of, he, in a kind of in a way, was an immigrant to his world. You know, does he, he landed and things, and then his talent was kind of developed. And I never knew quite why it failed. I well, I I thought it was just sheer lack of ambition and determination. Like he, but it wasn't lack of talent, right? And that's the irony. And that talent can always be rekindled in the right hands. I sure, mean, you know that's what we have to hope for. Is that all of us? I see a lot of kids that are hopeless. You know, they have no sense of what they're going to do. I mean, they come and they just go, I don't know, I'm going to go to college because my parents said so, but they have no tangible route to say, I want to go, not to get a business degree, but I just don't, I want to go and get that under my belt so that I can do it. And college really isn't about learning. It's about learning to live with yourself and making the choices. So we'll see. Okay. Okay. No, I, uh, well, just as an aside, as you brought it up, I, 
I, I do come back to, especially in the, the situations, I, th- I think ambition is an underrated quality in people that even if you don't know where you're going, if you're just going somewhere, you're going to bump into enough stuff to kind of figure out the path. But if you're just sitting there like Rich in the book and just making poor choices without actually going anywhere other than wrong places, then it just, yeah, what's, what's the point of having all the talent in the world? Rich had a big pity party to which he was only invited. Oh, yeah. 200 plus pages of pity party. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know. Um, ambition is a dangerous thing because many people in our culture are very wary and very resistant to people who are ambitious. And finding people who can nurture ambition. I mean, that's Horatio Alger. You know, that's foundation of a lot of our cultural touchstones. You know, we go like, wow. So, it'll be interesting to see his next book. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Thank Glad you. to be here. Right. Thanks. <laughs>